I am vengeance. I am the night. I am also a podcast. I am a podcast. 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 Oh! It's a show. It's a show. Audio only, though. What is it about? If you have time, I can tell you that it is a podcast about that many Batman podcasts. Uh, what did you want me to say in this part? It's a show! Yeah. Yeah! <laughs> I am a podcast. Whoa! Hey! with fans and people, people who Welcome to Batman the Animated Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Michael, and you're listening to an audio variety show for your ears based on the legendary 1990s cartoon, Batman the Animated Series. Today's sponsor, Split Personality Plus. Give your boring old split personality a third voice to really mix things up. Today I'll be talking about the final episode of the new Batman Adventures with series writer and story editor Rich Fogel, as well as comedian and musician Kevin Manwarren. Then, another visit to Kevin Conroy Bot Corner. Today's episode, Judgment Day. When Gotham's rogues are terrorized by a mysterious new vigilante known as The Judge, it's up to Batman to put a stop to things and discover who's behind the gavel and wig before it's too late. Original air date? October 31st, 1998. Halloween, baby. Written by Rich Vogel and Alan Burnett. Directed by Kurt Gaeta. Music by Michael McQuistian. With animation by Coco slash Dong Yang. Featuring Richard Maul as Two-Face. Malachi Throne as The Judge. I think I pronounced that right. Paul Williams as The Penguin. Brooks Gardner as Killer Croc. And John Glover as The Riddler. It's another Gotham City Villain Parade episode as Batman's solo outings wrap up in the DC Animated Universe. While it doesn't really act as a series finale, it's a fun standalone episode. The Judge has a hint of phantasm, but the villain's identity only makes things creepier, especially paired with Michael McQuistian's wonderful choral underscore. The episode itself is pretty fun. It's equal parts campy and psychologically interesting. You've got giant props and huge set-piece battles paired with the revelation that Two-Face has created an additional personality to off himself once again. I think it's what the new Batman adventure seems to do best. It builds off the rich history of psychologically broken Batman rogues from the first run of the animated series and kind of pushes them further with an even grander scope. All right, let's get to our first interview with... Today's guest, Rich Fogel. Rich was the co-writer on this episode and a writer-slash-story editor on the new Batman adventures, Superman, Batman Beyond, and Justice League. He got his start doing shows like Muppet Babies and Disney's Gummy Bears, so he's got a rich history in animation, and I think you're gonna like what he's got to say. I'm sitting down with Rich Fogel. We're here to talk about the new Batman adventures, but I imagine we'll talk about a lot of other things. How are you? I'm doing great. Yeah, Thanks thank for having me on. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, I, to kick things off, I just wanted to get a little bit of background from you. Like, how did you get involved in animation as a writer, a story editor? Um, well, if we want to really go back to the beginning, um, I studied cinematography at the American Film Institute and was looking for a job after that and was not having much luck 
with it and was a little bit, bit depressed. And my wife said, hey, let's go to a movie. Let's take your mind off of things. So we went and saw, I'm pretty sure it was a Preston Sturgis movie, maybe Miracle on Morgan's Creek or something like that. And I ran into uh, my old college roommate uh, when I was there, a guy named Sam Simon, who later went on to create The Simpsons. Yeah. Uh, and he, at that time, he was working at an animation studio out in Reseda called Filmation. And he said, well, I understand that they're looking for storyboard artists there. And I said, well, I can draw. So I went and applied to uh, Filmation and got a job as a storyboard artist. And that was my start in the animation business. And for, I don't know, three or four years, um, I did storyboards. Uh, the cartoons at Filmation were terrible. Uh, but it was a really good place to learn the business. And so I learned it, you know sort of from the bottom up there. And um, after doing storyboards for a few years, and I did some for Hanna-Barbera, I really got tired of, like, trying to make the stories work in board, you know, reading bad scripts. And I was like, I can do better than that. So um, I transitioned into writing. And my first script was for the Smurfs. Mm-hmm. Um, and my second script was for Super Friends. And when was this? This would have been around 1983, 82, 83, something like that. I think it's so interesting. I had no idea that you came from like more of a visual perspective, uh, like between DPing or like, you know, like mm-hmm. cinematography as a focus and yeah. like boards. Uh, well, and I think that really helps in animation writing because you, you think visually, you think in terms of action and how to progress the story through action. Uh, and that's really helpful. Anyway, so on, on Super Friends... Um, the story editor was Alan Burnett. Hmm. So, and I was talking to him recently, and I didn't realize this, but I was apparently the first freelance writer that he ever hired. So, in in ever ever, <laughs> yeah, I hear he's a, he's he's a guy who you know like really he's a tough nut to crack. He like if in terms of uh, not tough nut to crack is the wrong phrase, but like he has good taste. He has very good taste. So if he likes you, it's a good thing. Yes. And uh, he liked me, and we continued to work together and in parallel over the years. Uh, after Super Friends, uh, we worked together on uh, Smurfs, and then uh, I went over to Disney, and he went over to Disney, uh, did some work on DuckTales. Um, You're hitting all the major cartoons of, of the last 30 years. Yeah, it's kind of weird because it was sort of like there was always like a... a sort of a hot spot in animation and it would move from studio to studio and I was lucky enough to sort of like move to those studios at the same time so um, before I went to Disney I went to uh, Marvel and worked on Muppet Babies and another hugely popular show <laughs> Um, and then uh, at Disney I worked on I was the produ- one of the producers on Gummy Bears and um, then I went back to Hanna-Barbera after that and um did a terrible show called Yo Yogi. Um, which was it a Yogi Bear show? It was a it was a Yogi Bear as a kid, and it basically killed off the character. Um, but I, I, it was what the network wanted, and so it was sort of like it was like a hip, cool Yogi. Yeah, sort it was of a thing. Hip, like, cool, Yo Yogi, <laughs> Yo Yogi, exactly. And they were hanging out at a mall for some reason. But what was fun for me about that was 
even though they were these sort of bastardized versions, it was a chance to work with the classic Hanna-Barbera characters that I loved. Yeah. And so I was able to write like Pixie and Dixie and, and Snooper and Blabbermouse and Quick Draw McGraw and all those kind of things in their real iterations, although the, uh, some of the other characters were sort of kitted down. So, um, so that was an interesting experience, although not entirely successful. And then uh, I co-wrote a couple of Flintstones uh, movie of the weeks for ABC. Um, and that was around the time that Batman the Animated Series was getting started. And so unfortunately, I missed the first three years, you know, the first run of that because I was busy doing other things. Um, and then... Um, the Superman animated series started and uh, Alan and I were talking and he said, why don't you, you know, write an episode of that for us? And so on a freelance basis, um, I wrote the first Brainiac story for them. Um, and Stolen Memories? Yeah. It's, a, it's such a good episode. Yeah, I really, I really like that one. Uh, and then I wrote the second Brainiac episode, which was uh, sort of a crossover of Brainiac and, and Luther. Oh right, like he's rebuilding him, like Luthor is being yeah, he's forced re- to build Brainiac in the basement. Exactly, exactly. So that was cool. Anyway, so um, I did the first year of uh, Superman animated uh, as a freelancer, and then in the second year they brought me on staff as a story editor. So what exactly does a story editor do for people who don't know the difference between like writer or you know who, like what what does it mean to get a story credit and be a story editor as a separate credit? Um, basically, um, you've got your staff writers and then a step above that is the story editors who oftentimes will basically take a pass on the script that the, um, that the staff writers do before it goes to Alan, who was the producer. Um, and, and the way that it was set up on Superman and the new Batman adventures was not, not the way that like a primetime show was run. We didn't have a writer's room per se. Um, the, uh, we would all get there in the morning and we'd sort of hang out in, in Alan's office and talk about the, you know, what was going on in the news, what movies we'd seen, what TV shows we'd seen, you know, just what comic books we'd read and stuff like that. Pretty casual stuff for, for about an hour. And then we'd all go back to our offices and we would come up with stories. We'd write premises and, and stuff, turn them in. Alan and uh, Paul Dini and Bruce Tim would get together and go over them and select what they wanted to do. And then we'd go to outline and, you know, it would kick back and forth like that. Um, and so it was a very, it was an interesting setup uh, because in the other studios that I had been at, for the most part, everything was very compartmentalized that um, particularly at Hanna-Barbera, you would write your script and then you would send it off to the artists and you would never see anything again until the final thing came back. At Warner Brothers, they set it up as a unit. And so all of the Batman writers and artists were all in the same space right there. So when you were writing, if you had a question about how something was look going to look, you could go and talk to one of the directors or artists or something like that. And there was much more communication and interplay which was a really positive thing yeah you think the collaboration and like that access to different departments helped make the series you know stand out absolutely i mean it made all the difference in the world because you know in the past a lot of times there would be certain intentions that you had in writing a script 
that would sometimes get lost along the way. Right, an artist is guessing what the intent was or vice versa. <laughs> right. And so this, this really sort of close interaction, there was still like a dividing wall between the writers and the, and the artists, but it was, it was much... You, you could toss notes over the wall, you know? <laughs> it was... Uh, there was some communication. So, um, you know, and it was really nice to work with, with directors like, uh, like Dan Reba and Kurt Gaeta and stuff like that. So it was, it was really great. Um, anyway, so like the first, the first thing that I did as a story editor was that I, I edited a script that Hillary Bader had written, um, and sort of whipped it into shape and then passed it on to Alan who, and Paul, who did the sort of final polish. You remember it. which episode it was? It was the warrior queen. Oh, for Superman. Yeah. For Superman. Uh, and so then while I was there, they, they said, we're going to do more Batman episodes. And I was like, yes, because I was really unhappy that I had missed the first round on that. Um, it, you know, it was just a question of our schedules not meshing up uh, at that point. So I was really happy to get uh, a chance to do that. And so my first Batman one was Sins of the Father, uh, which was sort of Tim Drake's origin story. Yeah, you've written a lot of Two-Face. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I did. Um, and that one, I, you know, I'm glad I got a chance to do Judgment Day because uh, although I like Sins of the Father, it really focuses on Tim's story. And and it's, Two-Face is is in it, but it's not really a Two-Face story. Yeah, he's more of a device for Robin to have an origin. Yeah, yeah. And so I didn't really get a chance to delve into the character all of that much. So it was nice to, you know, in Judgment Day to be able to sort of go really deep into who Two-Face is. Well, this is as organic a transition as I will ever have an opportunity <laughs> to have. Let's talk about Judgment Day. Okay. Which was officially, I think, like the final new Batman Adventures episode. It was the last Batman uh, Adventures episode, and so I guess I'm the guy who killed Batman. <laughs> and uh, we we all love you for it, still, because it's a good episode. <laughs> um. Yeah, so it was, you know, at that point we had gone through all of the villains um, and were looking for new spins on them and, and also to bring new villains in in that last season. Um, so we really, uh, we were really thinking hard about, like, how to do this. And I came up with the notion of, of Harvey Dent having this sort of additional split in his personality to create this new... Uh, character called the Judge, and uh, Alan, who's a big Two Face fan, he really likes that. He sparked to that idea, and so we developed it. Originally, it was going to be a character called uh, Janus, um, but we thought that was going to be a little obvious, and so it became the Judge instead, which I was really happy with. And um, they made the decision, which I thought was a good one, to not have the voice be doubled up, that the voice for the judge was different than the voice for Two-Face. Um, and because they didn't want to tip the audience as to what was going on It really here. is a mystery. Like, I remember vividly watching it for the first time, and I was like, who is this? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and especially, you know, towards the end when, you know, there's that revelation that it is somebody that we know. It's implied that it's not a new character. Yeah. Uh, I was like, okay. <laughs> it, like, it got me for sure. Yeah, so it's it's a closed mystery, which is kind of cool, and yet you still see a lot of Two-Face and, and get character development on him, even though you're not, for the most part, privy to what's going on 
underneath the surface there. So um, um, going back to sort of my history with Batman, yeah, I, I grew up at a time when, you know, I was the right age when the, when the Adam West Batman series came on. You know, that, I was all excited about that. But I was already familiar with Batman. Uh, I didn't particularly like the Batman comics that were being published at that time. But uh, every year they would publish a Batman annual that was a big, thick comic book that had reprints of old things. And I loved those Batman annuals. That Talking had, like older, like Bill Finger kind yeah, of stories. The Bill Finger stories, the Dick Sprang yeah. artwork. I loved all that kind of stuff. I thought that was great. That was like the coolest Batman at that time um, for me. And so in doing Judgment Day, I... I tried to harken back to the feelings that I got in reading those those old Batman annuals, and so there are a lot of sort of Bill Fingerisms in that story. Uh, for example, the uh, the warehouse that the Penguin is in at the beginning with the giant props. Yes, and and they feel like a grounded version of the giant props that you'd see in the comics. Like it still fits in with the tone of the show. Yeah, but we still do get a giant penguin. <laughs> Yeah, I was uh, I was in New Orleans a couple of years ago, and I went to this place called Mardi Gras World, which is the place where they build all of the floats that they use in the Mardi Gras parades. Cool. And it is like a scene out of one of these Batman things. They have all these huge props and floats and heads and giant grinning things at you, and they're all just sort of like randomly strewn around the warehouse and everything, and it's like, oh my god, this is exactly like I pictured it. <laughs> this, is a, this is what we've been drawing, right? Yeah, so that actually exists in real life. Oh man, well... So, uh, so yeah, we were able to incorporate that in the story. Uh, another example is when Batman is doing the detective work on the, on the gavel, um, and he figures out what that is. Um, there, was a, there was a story, I don't remember which one it was, where... Batman determines who the villain was by um, what kind of hammer he left behind. And he, he pulls up this chart of all different kinds of hammers, and that this particular one was a roofing hammer or something like that. But, but he actually goes through this thing of pulling up the designs of all different kinds of hammers. And so it was like, yeah, I want to use that kind of detective work uh, in solving this mystery. Yeah, it felt satisfying. It felt like a nice little, you know, like a specific type of Batman mm -hmm. uh, that was being recalled. I don't know. I, I really loved, like, all the elements that you managed to put cram into one episode. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Well, yeah, you know, we got a lot of villains in there, too. Yeah, which felt like a, I don't know, for me, a proper send-off for this iteration of Batman. Yeah. Because it, it is, you know... So much about the rogues. Yeah. Uh, so getting to see a spotlight on a few of them. <laughs> yeah, and we had we had actually been looking for a place to put the Riddler all doing during the new Batman adventures, and it was just hard to find places to put him. So it was nice that he was able to sort of make a cameo appearance in this episode. Yeah. Why Why do you think it was tough to find a place for him? Um, were there any stories that were pitched that didn't make it? There were, uh, and I don't remember what they were particularly, but. Um, he is a he is a tough character to to come up with really good stories for because he's kind of a gimmick character and once you've done the gimmick it's like what more are you going to do with him? Um, I was actually very impressed. I don't know if you watch Gotham, but they just did an, an arc on Gotham where they sort of had a reason why the Riddler started doing the Riddles, which was basically that he wanted to frame Jim Gordon to keep him off to keep Gordon from finding out what. Nigma had done. 
And it was like, what a great reasoning for him to do this kind of stuff. It was like, it was a, a great new spin on it that I really liked. Um, but so the Riddler is an enigma. He is, he is hard to write. Um, yeah, it feels like you do need a very specific reason to bring him back. I mean, yeah. same with Two-Face, although he can kind of function as a thug. Yeah. Uh, or like a gangland sort of character. But when you dive into his psychology is when he's obviously most interesting. Yeah. And so my thinking in, in this was that at this point in the series, um, Harvey Dent was essentially dead. You know, he was so buried in the Two-Face character that, that there was no bringing him back. Uh, but I felt like there still was that side of him of wanting to do good and wanting to, um, you know, be just. And that Dent was just not strong enough to do it. And so I thought, well, what if his psych- deep in his psyche he creates this new persona that is strong enough to fight back against Two-Face? So he's still, he's still really only... Some people complain that, well, he's not Two-Face anymore, now he's Three-Face. Um, but I, I didn't feel that way. I felt like Harvey was dead and that Two-Face was now either the judge or uh, Two-Face. Yeah, I loved it. It was one of those characters that I wish we got to see it more <laughs> after yeah. the fact. Because I was like, oh, there's still room for a new episode now that we know. So... Um, so yeah, so that was sort of my thinking going into it, and and I think it worked out really well. He's a scary character. Um, the the direction and and everything is fantastic in this episode, and the music by Michael McQuiston is just awesome. He has this this uh, sort of chanting male chorus thing that goes behind the yeah. judge for the judge's theme, and the rest of it feels very Hitchcock. Um, so I was really happy with the way that this this particular one came out. Um, I, Alan asked me um, when we were done if he could share the screen credit with me, and I said yes, absolutely. Uh, not only was he very involved in the development of it, but uh, in the outline stage, he added a subplot that I thought was really important to the success of of the the episode, which was the whole um, the whole thing with the the councilman, the J. Carroll Corcoran. Uh, character. Yeah, he felt like a red herring at first. Yeah, uh, and then it's like quickly revealed it's not. He's not the judge. Right, and so I think that 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 whole uh, that whole addition of that really grounded the story and and gave it some real world consequences and and got into uh, something that we didn't deal a lot with in the new Batman adventures, but was the sort of ingrained corruption in Gotham and the reason why Batman is Batman. And so I felt like on a lot of things, it was a nice episode to go out of the series on that it touched so many of, of the themes and characters and um, detective work and stuff like that that were all sort of like part of the show and we were able to sort of like roll it up in one ball there. Yeah, I feel like with mo- a lot of the new Batman Adventures episodes, they, they do get like grander in scope, mm-hmm. uh, which I imagine is you know, part of growing the show after having done the other animated series episodes. But did you feel like you wanted to like make it more personal because of that? Or was that just a, yeah, I, I, well, yes, I I wanted to dig into the psychology of the character. Like I said, in, in sins of the father, I was not really able to, to do that with two face. And I love two face. I mean, he's a great character. 
Uh, Did you watch the other episodes? Like, were you watching Batman the Animated Series as it was coming out? So you already were aware of, you know, what they had done with the characters so far and were itching. (laughs) Yeah, and and of course, when when assignments came up and and stuff like that, if if I was doing a Two-Faced episode, you know, I'd go back and watch it couple of episodes just to sort of refresh my memory on what they'd done so yeah, i was felt like a natural progression i think like the last two-phase appearance was second chance in the other the, the original animated series and it's you know harvey betrays two-face or two-face is trying to kill harvey i'm trying to remember i think it's two-face is trying to kill harvey and it felt like a natural extension that yeah the judge is trying to kill two-face it felt like a very i don't know it felt nice it felt unexpected but satisfying which is i feel like the end of any good mystery yeah yeah so um so yeah that was uh that was great and the the ending of this particular episode i think is really creepy it always gives me sort of shivers where he's like in arkham and yeah. saying guilty yeah it's like what what a hell to be trapped in yeah uh, Somebody should do a supercut of every ending of a Batman episode where a villain is rocking back and forth saying <laughs> something. <laughs> like never not unsettling. Um, but, I mean, that particular ending was admittedly basically a lift from Psycho. Hmm. Um, the, um, but I think it has that kind of impact as well. So, again, the thing with the councilman was the thing that grounded this in in real life. Yeah. And had and made it have real life consequences. And I think that helped it a lot because when you have something that's just the the colorful villains running around and stuff like that, it's fun. It's always fun, but it doesn't necessarily have the resonance. And so this 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 idea of the sort of creeping corruption that's just under the surface in Gotham and the self-serving politicians who uh are doing that, I think really made this one punch home. Yeah, well, and also the assumption that Gordon's got Batman, I should have my judge. And it's like, well, that's not why... Gordon doesn't have Batman <laughs> to for yeah. a popularity contest. Yeah, and it's a, it's a misreading of, of what Gordon and Batman are about. And so. that's what makes, you know, Cochran more of a villain. <laughs> Cochran? Cochran? Cochran, yeah. There we go. So, um, you know, and the fight at the end with, you know, on the giant justice statue and Which stuff like so that. Which is so much fun and also... Cool and creepy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, it's got a sort of like um, Hitchcock kind of thing, you know, like the the fight at the top it's of like the North by Northwest. Well, North by Northwest or Saboteur, where they where the end is the big fight on the Statue of oh, Liberty. Of course, um, that kind of thing. And so, as a writer, I'm always looking for those kind of visual metaphors that'll make it fun. Uh, and you know, make use of good settings and things like that. Yeah. So I mean, even the judge falling. What doesn't the judge hit? <laughs> yeah, he falls on the scales of justice. Yeah, and, and he breaks them. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that was cool, and and I liked being able. to... I think that was the only time that I wrote the penguin. So I that was cool for me. And Killer Croc was was good in that episode. And yeah, so we had a whole little rogues gallery thing going on. Um, yeah, going into the new Batman Adventures, like when you first started working on that show, uh, what was the goal? You know, I'm sure it was a little different for you since you got you, you weren't on the earlier iteration of Batman, but were there specific goals set out to differentiate it? Yeah, um, I think that I think that Bruce in particular felt that he had learned things from 
going through the uh, the first uh, run of the series, and he had learned things from uh, doing Superman as well, uh, and wanted to apply some of those things. He didn't want to repeat himself, um, which is always a good in instinct uh, that you don't want to. And so this was a much more stylized, a much more designed kind of show, even though the first one was, was very stylized and designed. Um, uh, Glenn Murakami was really uh, influential in how this one ended up looking. Um, and and I, I like it. It's, it's a, a really sleek look, um, and it animates well. Um, it doesn't have the sort of black backgrounds that the original one did, but um, they still managed to do things like with the red skies and stuff, so it always looked very striking on the screen. Uh, so from a visual standpoint, they were, they were looking to do that. From, um, from a story standpoint, I think we knew that it was going to be teamed up. It, would be, it was going to be put in a package with the Superman episodes, and so it sort of needed to feel as big as those Superman episodes did. And so th there was, I think, not necessarily a mandate, but um, a sense that we needed to go a little bigger, a little broader with it. Uh, also, we were bringing in the other Bat characters, you know, Robin and Batgirl and Nightwing as part of the ongoing series. Um, and so we were going to have more room to play with them. Again, the, the mandate from the network was always, you know, let's make this lighter, let's make this more kid-friendly, you know, let's try and do things uh, like that. And... Um, that never really worked out. <laughs> yeah, well, I feel like that's good for the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and people still loved it, you know, like uh, I imagine. Well, you know, I think there's a split decision on it. You know, it's like some people love their original Batman and it's like, I, I don't want to see anything else. Other people were more open to the new designs and, and were open to the kind of storytelling that we were doing um, uh, for new Batman adventures. Um I feel like it all feels sort of organically part of the same thing. It's just a s slight tweak. I feel like always in those moments when there is a big shift, you know, there is that kind of core fan fanboy or fangirly sort of crowd that will like, you know, have a vocal opinion, a negative opinion. But usually with time, mo a lot of those people end up liking the thing that they didn't like or mm -hmm. just don't care as much. Like yeah. in the grand scheme of like watching the shows evolved from Batman the Animated Series to Justice League. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it does feel... I, I, I think it's kind of incredible how everything transitioned, and yet they still do feel like the same characters. It never feels like they were radically changed in a way that was dismissive of what came before it. Right. Um, and we, we did the same process when we started Justice League, um, that it was like, okay, let's clean the table, let's, let's redesign the characters, let's you know, start from, from scratch, taking into account what's come before. And so the designs from, for Batman and Justice League are slightly different. You know, the designs for Superman are slightly different. The world as it is designed is slightly different. Um, you know, we had a, an issue uh, in terms of approaching Justice League. The, the mantra of the first season was, we're not doing super friends. We're not doing super friends. Uh, and yet when the first episode came back we looked at it and went huh looks kind of like super friends <laughs> um and 
part of that was a reluctance, and I think it was one of the mistakes that we made going into Justice League, to stylize the world as much as we had in the previous series. Um, and I understand the reasoning for it, which was that um, Bruce particularly was concerned that uh, with, these, with all these superheroes around, that he wanted it to feel grounded in reality, that he didn't want the world itself to feel foreign. Right. Um, but I think it might have been cooler if, he, if we had continued that progression that we had started in, in the original Batman series. In other words, we did the Dark Deco in, um, in the original Batman series, and then in Superman they did the streamlined modern mm-hmm. kind of thing. And um, I would have liked it if we could have gone sort of mid-century modern. Oh, that would have been so cool. And it would have looked really striking, and it would have looked really cool, and it would have given it a, a distinct identity, whereas I don't feel like the world in Justice League, the background world, has quite enough of a distinct identity to it. It feels a little bit more generic. Yeah. I can see the intent, but yeah, it definitely didn't feel like it had the same visual punch. Yeah. At least, in, I think as it progressed, some of it, it definitely pushed it yeah. farther. But yeah. Especially like second season stuff, uh, when you got off Earth a lot more. <laughs> Well, I mean, always when we were going to be doing alien things and 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 uh, other worlds and things like that, you're, that's a perfect opportunity to do like great styling. But just in terms of like the everyday environments, it would have been nice for it to have the same kind of impact that the Batman or the Superman series would have had. But you know, that being said, I'm real happy with the way that those came out, and I think Justice League is a great series. Yeah, I mean, it's fantastic. I actually wanted to chat with you. I mean. Um, so Darwin Cook had worked on the series, yeah, um, and he recently passed, which is yeah, that was very, very sad. sad. Um, and I just wanted to talk to you. Maybe, did, what was your experience? Did you work with him a lot, or was he? He was around. Um, I didn't have much in the way of, of personal uh, connections with him because he, um, you know, he'd been doing uh, character designs uh, and stuff like that for them. And then towards the end of, of the Batman run, he started getting into comic books and Bruce was very supportive of him in, in pushing him into the comic books. And that really seemed to be like a real natural fit. And so, um, I know that we were like trying to get Darwin back to do more work for us. And he was like, nah, I'm too busy. (laughs) So. So what kind of contributions did he have on the Batman stuff? I know he like had designed the Creeper or helped design the Creeper. You know, I, I wasn't part of that. He he worked closely with Glenn. Um, so if you are able to get Glenn on the show, he could probably uh, tell you more about that. Um, but I, I'm pretty. I, I could be wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure he did. He was doing like character designs and stuff like that, and so he would do model sheets and then Glenn would clean them up and you know that's what would end up on the screen yeah I mean that I mean speaking of character design the judge taking it back to judgment day looked so cool too yeah uh, especially this is a very small note but like when he was kind of writhing in the air at the end and he has kind of like a wispy like 
I don't know, ghosty sort of like, uh, he doesn't have feet at one point. Yeah. Uh, well, the robe is everything, you know. Yeah, it's I like, loved that. Uh, it made him feel otherworldly and, you know, kind of only only enhanced that. Yeah, and when he was standing up, they, it was he was a very striking figure because he, he was almost wedge-shaped, you know, that he had the broad shoulders yeah. and he had a taper down there. And it felt very powerful. Yeah, I think he just kind of felt like he floated too. Mm-hmm. Um, yet felt different than Phantasm from, you know, he there were some crossover similarities in terms of like the bellowy voice and yeah uh, but it, they, they feel like separate entities which I really love yeah so you know after over a hundred episodes coming up with something that was new was was a big challenge and I think you know I think we were able to do something that tied in with what had gone before but still as you said sort of move move the ball forward a little bit yeah absolutely so um, any other thoughts on judgment day that you wanted to share um no i i think i think the other, the only other thing that i can think of is that we were very careful about trying to logic out um the judge's appearances so um when when he um comes back and gets the penguin we know he he was already there uh, when he gets Killer Croc, it's not a, a stretch to think that he had tailed him out of the place and had sort of been keeping tabs on what he was doing. Um, and certainly the the misdirection of him trying to kill Harvey Dent in, in his apartment, and he was the only one who knew about the secret thing, you know, that all sort of like logically made sense. And then he as Two-Face hears the admission from the councilman of the graft and corruption, and then as the judge, he comes and gets him. And so it all sort of like tracks all the way through there. Yeah, I mean, that's the best part about a satisfying mystery, is that you can rewatch it and be like, yep, 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 <laughs> it all checks out. Yeah, so that was, uh, you know, that was part of the fun of telling a good mystery in that one. Well, cool. Thank you so much for chatting about it. Happy to do Today's fan, Kevin Manwarren. Kevin's a buddy of mine I met through comedy, but he's also a talented musician. You can hear him in the band Tuft. Uh, anyway, let's do this. Cool. So I'm sitting here with Kevin Manwarren. <laughs> it's, uh, it's Kevin Manwarren. Kev... Kev, Kev you, you checked beforehand, and I correctly pronounced it, and you still just mucked it up. Sorry, so it's K-E-V-I-N. That is how you spell it, yeah. So, Kev-E-N. Right, yeah. And then, Main Waran. It does not uh, rhyme with moron. <laughs> oh. That's a, yeah, that's a fun rule of thumb to It doesn't rhyme with moron? No, no. Great. So, I'm here with... Uh, Kevin Man Moron. <laughs> I don't know what this bit is. But yeah. It's a name bit. Uh, but it is a bit, and that's what matters. So I'm sitting with Kevin. We just watched Judgment Day. It's true, yeah. We just finished it. We literally just went from one couch to some chairs. I would say 10 yards, most. Yeah. No more than 10 yards. Tis a first down. Sports? You don't know sports. sports? You don't know sports. You, you know what a first down is. No. First down? First down, yeah. So now I'm not doing a bit. That's a football thing? 
How you're really not doing a bit there? No, no bit. All right, it's in football. I host a Batman the Animated Series <laughs> podcast. But you also live in America. Mm. You haven't absorbed ever just the concept of a first down. What is a first? Can I guess what it is? You can definitely guess. Okay, so a first down. Jesus. Uh, where do I even begin? So you, yeah, there's a football. Right, yeah. And uh, Great it's so like far. the first, first stretch of... Like that, you—it's made it across the field. No, I mean you—you you started to slip off of the what is it? real definition. Uh, so, uh, uh, <laughs> I guess it is tough to describe. Well, well, well. Uh, so the sports master becomes the nerd. So, master. Uh, so for all you other nerds out there, I feel like even they know what it is. They probably—they're probably, know they're what probably it like, is. wait, why are you lumping us in with you? Uh, the football field is 100 yards, and you have four downs or four chances to get 10 yards. I see. And so uh, your first down is your first uh, attempt at that. And then if you make it 10 yards, everybody rejoices, and they say, first down, because uh, you again have four more chances to go uh, the next 10 yards. Hopefully, uh, eventually getting so to like a touchdown. So it's like three strikes for a batter. Yeah, kind of. it's it's sort of like that. Yeah. Welcome back to I don't know sports. Uh, I mean, I I know about all sports. If you want to talk more about those, uh, honestly, no. <laughs> Does Batman ever get into sports? Uh, there is an episode called Fear of Victory where the Scarecrow uh, tries to release a fear toxin at a football stadium. Oh. But uh, I don't, yeah, I don't know if Batman gets into sports. Okay. I don't know if he's watching sports. <laughs> he doesn't have a season where think, he just mostly watches it on the couch. Master Bruce, uh, <clears throat> the Joker is on live television. <laughs> Perhaps you'd want to take care of this? So you're saying that in, uh, in Batman Rises, it was not unheard of to have a supervillain uh, take over a, a football stadium. I guess not. Guess guess Nolan kind of ripped off season one of Batman the Animated Series. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Granted, in that episode, the ground didn't crumble into itself. Right, yeah. Uh, so, Batman. So when, Batman. When did you first watch the show? Uh, well, we, we talked before this, uh, not to get too inside uh, the... Don't say baseball. The Batman studio. Uh, but you said it started airing in 92? Yeah. Um, well, I was born in 1981, and so, uh, quick math, that takes me, uh, to the ripe age of 11 years old. I feel like it was made for your age. Yeah, I, I mean, I was super into it, and if it aired for the next six years, then that was, like, the perfect time for me to tail off my interest. Yeah, you slowly grew out of it. And didn't watch this end of the series. Right, but I, I, I watched it pretty much every day when I got home from school. I, I was very into it, and then I played a series. Uh, I, I was a Nintendo kid, and so I, I did your NESs and SNESs uh, after watching my Batman. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a life. It was, really, it was really wonderful. And that's all gone now. <laughs> I mean, you're living a pretty good life. No, no, I don't have school. I don't have anything to come home to afterwards uh, in terms of television. 
because uh, I have Netflix now, and live television is all I care about. That's why I like sports. Yeah, you've just been banging your fist on the table <laughs> screaming, live television's all I want uh, since you got here. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Uh, so I showed you the very last episode of the series. Right, and that, that uh, felt important. And I'll I'll try to do it justice. Yeah. E- emphasis on justice. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I feel like that word really plays into today's episode. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, did you expect this? At, did, okay. So, did you know who the judge was going to be? I did know uh, when you told me what episode we were going to watch. I did uh, a, a cursory search on it. Looked it up. Yeah. I. I I'm not sure if I remember this episode from my childhood. Uh, the The judge seemed very familiar, but not familiar enough that I couldn't have made that character up. <laughs> Maybe I was uh, also just very aware of the concept of a judge <laughs> and could <laughs> very Guilty. easily imagine a, uh, a cartoon version. <laughs> he does a lot of, uh, even though there's nothing else he could be other than a judge based on his dress... Every line is to remind you of his occupation. He's definitely like slinging one-liners, but speaking them gravely serious. Right, yeah, with a little bit of echo. I don't know if his... uh... I love the sound design on that. Yeah, you think that's a natural thing for him? I think so. I think that little black uh, sheet that he had over his head probably uh, had a a small, uh, small amplifier. Yeah, he was... Stealing from his own Two-Face bank account to pay for an amp and like really work on the costume. I, I loved I loved all the one-liners, uh, but I I realized that um, they missed on a huge one. What is it? Because uh, Killer Croc was one of the people that he ran into, and uh, he less of a run into it. They <laughs> sought out and tried to murder. Right? Yeah, uh, I guess that's a more accurate <laughs> description. He didn't mention the scales of justice. Oh. And with the only scaly character in the entire universe, and he shows up in that episode. You gotta you gotta draw from that. Maybe do you wanna do a punch up pass and like just kinda re record some of the one liners and release <laughs> it on Amazon Prime? Yeah, yeah. Uh I have nothing else to do. <laughs> Again, you reiterate you have nothing to come I've home to. I've got nothing to come home to. Uh, yeah, this was like a fun, weird villain, villain potpourri. <laughs> yeah, uh, they, I, I guess they, they introduced three at the top just to, just to give him people to try to kill. Yeah. We got Penguin. We got Two-Face. We got, we got Penguin, got... and we also got his, uh, his lovely hench girls. Oh yeah, Raven and Lark? Raven and Lark. He went, uh, he went with the bird, uh, association rather than, uh, just winter animals or flightless things. Or umbrellas. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> I would love to see a world where, like, his themed hench people are themed to umbrellas instead. <laughs> but yeah, I, I was curious, uh... Rainbow, Duck handle <laughs> i was curious why uh they were sort of uh, they had bowler caps and just kind of resembled uh who are the kickline girls <laughs> the famous like the rockettes yes they do kind of look like they to me they look like uh you know like they auditioned for cabaret did not make it and then since that audition have been wearing the costume that they auditioned. uh-huh yeah 
Um, I think maybe it might have been when you fell off with the series. So, like, in the fourth season of when they, like, redesigned everything, Penguin becomes, like, a legitimate businessman. Oh, sure. he owns a, a lounge, like a nightclub called the Iceberg Lounge. And uh, But right. they also... You know, are following him around outside of this lounge. So in this in uh, in this uh, uh, train of thought, you would call the CEO of Hooters a legitimate businessman. <laughs> yeah, as well as a Batman villain. <laughs> I mean, he kind of he kind of would have been if uh, uh, he was before that episode of Undercover Boss. <laughs> then he. Wait, is this a real thing? Yeah, the guy, the guy from Hooters was on Undercover Boss and went around and, uh, uh, as you might, as you might imagine, one of the owners of Hooters, uh, did terrible things to, uh, uh, to his employees. But he Hooters like Hooters is a family restaurant, right? They, uh, there was one, uh, no one was in the restaurant and so they have to send girls home because they're not going to pay like the entire staff uh, to just wait on empty tables. And so the way that they did it was an eating contest where they, it was, it was something so demeaning where they were just like uh, without their hands, just eating slop from like, <laughs> from plates. You're it was a- like a whipped cream eating contest or something. Oh. It was really rough, but he got fired and justice was served. Owner of Hooters. <laughs> I was disappointed also that uh, everyone uh, got to hear what they were being accused of, um, besides the Riddler. Oh, yeah. It was just like, I guess to the judge, it was so obvious that he was just like, we're going to throw the book at you. Time enough. to throw the book at you. I'm not going to I'm not gonna <laughs> give you a chance to do one of your silly little riddles. <laughs> was he posing with like a mannequin leg? What was that? I, I thought it was a pen. I think, oh, that makes way more sense. Yeah. Yeah, because he like pulled it out. Uh, like, again, a pen and a book kind of makes sense. I think it was For a giant reason, pen. I've seen a still of that. I'm like, why is the Riddler posing with a mannequin leg? <laughs> Yeah, Riddler really got shafted in terms of uh, not getting to find out why he was trying to be Riddler. Right, yeah. But, you know, it's for the best. Yeah. I feel like if he let him, he would have gone on for way too long. <laughs> wait, wait! <laughs> uh, so, you you had, like, what was, like, your first memory of the show, like, originally? Like, do you remember an episode that stood out? I'm not... I'm not so great with specifics, I don't. I don't think I remember. I more just remember a time rather than individual episodes. If I started watching them, I, I could probably pick out a good majority. But I, I don't think I ever had a favorite episode or anything. You're a comic book guy. Yeah. Uh, were you reading comics at the time? Uh. Or did you get into that later? I I was super into comics in elementary school, and I think it. Uh, it followed me into junior high and right about then I started getting into music a lot more and, uh, uh, having people think I was cool. Um, and so I, I still, I still like drew stuff and got into the art, but we play Dungeons and Dragons. We do. Yes. Uh, I uh, I've played plenty of Dungeons and Dragons. I've even played like mech versions of Dungeons and Dragons. That was actually the first version of it that I played. Somebody's 
altered, like, I think it was like a Gundam type thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was in high school. It actually is what turned me off from Dungeons and Dragons. It was like, <laughs> it was a club and high school run by a very cool history teacher. Uh, it was like, it's called Special Studies. So like, for a semester, you know, you'd like that second half of Wednesday, you would just get to do one of these like weird artistic or creative classes or just like play D&D. Sure, yeah. But the guy that was DMing it who wasn't the teacher... It was like one of those like it's taken very seriously like not fun versions of D and D. I want to be doing bits. <laughs> Did uh, uh, was the history teacher aware that he was doing like a pun on social studies? Wait, the oh, fact that he called it special oh, no, he studies. He didn't call it that. That was just the program. <laughs> oh, okay, <overall>. gotcha. <laughs> no. I thought I thought there was a sly wink it's every time he introduced studies. the class. Uh, no. Yeah, I, I played the mech one uh, because I was in the Boy Scouts all through high school. I eventually became an Eagle Scout. Whoa. Uh, but part of our camping experience was going to Joshua Tree and uh, just playing mech Dungeons and Dragons Here's instead of actually... Rocks. Why don't you play some robot stuff? Yeah, I, I we didn't hike or anything. We just stayed in tents and... <laughs> Made some some great, great false memories. <laughs> and here you are today. Yeah. Well, you read a bunch of comics now. I do, yeah. Um, uh, right, right before I stopped, uh, I, I'd say it was like the, the jump off of Image Comics. And so uh, I came back to that very quickly. Uh, I read a lot of... Uh, like, I read Sex Criminals and Saga and uh, East of West, and then I'll, uh, I'll find a writer or an artist that I'm into, and I'll kind of delve into their back catalog and, and find all, all, the, uh, all the great stuff that's, that's hidden. Uh, sort of what, what I did uh, for music, I guess, I do now for, for comics. Cool. Yeah, I tend to uh, just have an interest pop out of nowhere and then uh, abandon every other interest for a little bit and uh, really dig around. That world. Yeah. Cool. Thanks. (laughs) You're welcome. Uh, Let's get back into Judgment Day. Okay. So, starts out, Judge pops out, attacks the, the hell out of the penguin. Right. Giant penguin, by the way, crushes him. Kind of reminded me of Hook. Remember how, like, Captain Hook gets crushed by a huge, like, crocodile statue uh-huh. at the end of that? Yeah, I wasn't sure what exactly its purpose was. Like it why pe- he was in a place that had that? Yeah, I, I know he was He was in his, his place of business. I think, I mean, it felt like the warehouse, like a big prop warehouse to me. Okay, but yeah. Like a big it, robot in the background. I'd understand if it was just a big... Uh, if it was just a big statue, but this was a statue on wheels, which meant it because was, it sort of chased him down the hallway a little bit before it collapsed on him, which means it uh, it might have been something used for a parade that maybe Lark just pulled on a string as they walked through the streets. <laughs> You're imagining one woman, one one like you know cocktail waitress, <laughs> pulling. Just an enormous statue down the street. She appeared to have great hand grip. 
<laughs> yeah, when she was tied up uh-huh. in less than a minute. <laughs> Man, I mean, the idea, the fact that Two Face, whether he knew it or not, he didn't, was able to do all of that is incredible. Sure, yeah, he had just left and was able to to pounce on these unsuspecting girls and then still get the jump on Penguin. And later, like, wh- so Killer Croc is like scaling that you know whatever Gotham uh, version good. of the Golden scaling. Gate Bridge. That's good. Oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if the writer's not going to do it, we might as well. Yeah, I, they definitely. I don't. I don't think he wanted to go as campy. <laughs> uh, but they. <laughs> Like, he climbs up an entire bridge. Like, how did Two-Face get up there? First of all, I like that Killer Croc, when he, uh... <laughs> when he he latched onto the, uh, the bottom of this vehicle oh, right. and so tore through it and then th- threw the guys out the door, he, uh, slyly just says, they didn't see that one coming, but he said it like it was a pun, <laughs> and since we had already heard other characters say puns, and we're gonna be treated to more later, I racked my brain for a little bit, figuring out, like, uh, what reference he was trying to make, or what sort of... I think Croc's just an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> Got him. Yep. Ugh, good one, Croc. Thanks. But yeah, so he he scales up as alligators do. They have incredible climbing strength. Crocodiles. Crocodile, sorry. Uh, huge difference. Huge difference. Uh, they both scale buildings. <laughs> uh, uh, known for their upper body strength. <laughs> uh, gets all the way to the top, and then he just pops out right behind him. Yeah. Looks cool. Very badass. Yeah. Love the coral, whatever, like the score accompanying the judge. Uh... But yeah, I, I assume that uh, Croc's claws were what made it so easy to scale scale that pole. He's got nothing. He's just got regular regular two face hands. Yeah, I mean, well, one that's been scarred by acid. If anything, he has a disadvantage. <laughs> I also like that uh, he he had multiple weapons. Throughout it, and uh, the giant uh, croquet mallet <laughs> that <laughs> the huge gavel ends up being a giant gavel awarded to him. Uh, they go out of their way to figure out uh, who he is based on who would potentially have that gavel, uh, but the sword <laughs> he also has just a gigantic sword. And I love seeing a Batman villain wield a great sword. Yeah. But yeah, there was no no detective work on that whatsoever. There wasn't a tie-in where like his fraternity in college like used that for their initiation. So what you're saying is you wanted to see more of the boring investigation. Exactly. Yeah. As uh, as an avid player of the Batman PlayStation series, <laughs> I I live for investigation. <laughs> there's no action in those series whatsoever. <laughs> there's there's the occasional one just to keep the the numbskulls playing the game, but. but about detective work. I like my bat goggles. <laughs> I like... I, we didn't even get to... I mean, as a kid, I even didn't like this delivery, but when Croc pops up through the... I think we talked about this when we were watching, uh, that, like, the armored vehicle, he just goes... <laughs> the least scary thing you could hear him say. Yeah. Uh, it was not... That delivery, not so great... I think I really... He was voiced by a different voice actor 
in the original animated series. Oh, I thought you meant just for his rars. Just for his rar. His, <laughs> his exclamations are all done by a specific uh, guild. Yeah, can we bring in uh, Gary Rar of the <laughs> Roar Guild? <laughs> <laughs> the animation Roar Guild. What's that? No, he did not change his name. That no, is that is his birth name. That's actually why he got into it. <laughs> uh, I mean, overall, like his voice is fine. Otherwise, but uh, the, the other Croc has this like kind of like uh, he has like a it's creepier voice. Yeah. Eric so you Kincaid. so you you uh, side with creepiness for I side with for creepiness. Croc. Creepy Croc is what I want for my killer Croc. I guess, yeah, anyone who spends the majority of their time in the sewer should probably be a little bit creepy. Yeah, I mean, just look at Penguin and Batman Returns. Mm Mm-hmm. Ugh. See, that's the penguin that I adore. A slimy one. (laughs) A literally slimy penguin. (laughs) Uh, Just covered with fish guts. (laughs) Coughing up black goo. Never never, uh, having his hair fully dry. Oh, is it because he showered? <laughs> nope. Not really. Quite the opposite. It's just a dingy place he lives. <laughs> oh, man, he was a mayor. That, he was the worst smelling mayor of Gotham City. <laughs> I guess, yeah, they probably cleaned him up for for one or two, one or two big uh, extravaganzas. Yeah, but he kept threatening to bite their noses. <laughs> uh, we also had the, the, that fun little, little uh, back and forth between the... Uh, the cops driving the armored vehicle. Uh-huh. Wish I had a nickel for every one of these. Whatever, like drive. Wish I had a nickel every time you said that. Was he was he saying that uh, under his breath? I feel like it was under his breath and like really resentful of his relationship with the other armored truck driver. Is uh is is this a relationship that has ever ever shown up on screen? This is a fresh. This is a fresh relation. Uh, we never got to see them again. Unfortunately, fans demanded it. Mm-hmm. Especially, yeah, with the with the series series coming to an end, that's rough. I wonder what happened to them when they jumped out of the car. We don't know. We'll never know. And yeah. that's kind of what I like about the series. And you already uh, did your interview with the writer. I did. So this did was not, not a question. That this came was not up. a question that came up. Uh, incidentally. I'm assuming, uh, you know, maybe there were characters that were throwaways. <laughs> huh. Even though I emotionally connected with them the most. <laughs> the, the two most frustrated people. Uh, so where do we go from here? After he takes down Killer Croc. Oh, yeah, Batman fights him for the first time. Yeah, very fails quickly. Fails miserably. Yeah. The judge pulls a Batman on Batman, disappears. Uh, was it... Are we talking about the Two-Face scene? Or oh, did he... F- we get to Two-Face now. Oh, yeah, like Corcoran. That slimy politician pops Right, up, Right, yeah. Like the guy who's running... You know, he's... The primary's coming up. He sides with the judge. I feel like he was a misdirect at first to make you think he was the judge. Sure. He had the same build as the judge. Yeah, he They're, had the same hair. Right. <laughs> same wig. Uh, it was a, it was a direct misdirect. It was a yeah. Well, almost immediately the, the judge shows up and is like, "They're working together." We got that creepy music un- underscoring a handshake. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does feel like a good final episode, showcasing like again. There's it's always nice to see like the good version of taking down criminals and then the bad version of it. Like why Batman is the one who should be doing it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like that juxtaposition feels like. 
has some sort of finality to it. I don't think it was intended to be like a series finale style mm-hmm. episode. It was just like, well, this is the last one we're airing before Batman Beyond takes off. But yeah, he really he would he was really sticking it to Batman with the whole uh, it's better than this carousel that you've got going where the bad guys just go into the asylum and then back out on the streets. I'm glad I'm glad he got the last laugh. <laughs> You really got him. I mean, but I, I do. I love how wienery he was leaning against that board. He's like, yeah, I think he got my point. <laughs> he says something like that. It's like you idiot. Yeah, but then again, I mean, we're we're clear Batman fans. We don't we don't like the we've never sided with the weaselly politician. Yeah, if if you guys side with Corcoran, please uh, tweet at BTAS podcast hashtag Corcoran rules R U L E Z. Are you more? Uh, do you resemble a uh, a Weasley politician more than you do Batman in real life? Because <laughs> I think I do. Yeah, I think if people pointed to me and they had to choose Weasley politician <laughs> or Batman, they would go with Weasley politician because it's even if they didn't believe I was, they're like, well, that's far more plausible. That's also, you know. Uh, you hate characteristics in other people that you see in yourself. Jesus. So I am Corcoran? We. We, we are, are Corcoran. Corcoran. We're a couple of Corcorans. Welcome back to Uncorcoran with <laughs> Kevin and Justin. Uh, yeah. But yeah, then uh, then uh, there was the great... <laughs> let, me, let me ask. Obviously... Two-Face is not aware that he's the judge. Right. But the judge must be aware that he's Two-Face. Oh, that's a Because good he knew that he couldn't just show up. He knew that he would have to pre-record a video to play yeah, on the television. Yeah, and seal off the, like, the secret exit. You know, I have a feeling that neither of the personalities are aware of it. So it's well, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. That's a good question. It's a complete separate third personality. Because if he did know, I guess it, either way, he's still trying to kill Two Face. There's an episode called Second Chance, which is like a later Batman the Animated Series episode, like of like the third season, and it's essentially the twist. Spoiler alert: <laughs> is that Two Face is kidnapped and it's I believe I believe it's Harvey Dent is trying or Two-Face is trying to kill Harvey Dent. Oh. Like it's all about Harvey Dent is trying to get a facial reconstructive surgery so he can like yeah. heal and then he's kidnapped and then it turns out it's Two-Face who is trying to stop it. So this is almost like the heightened on top of that. Man. Uh yeah, what a sad. I don't see why I don't see why Two-Face just let it happen because it's not like fixing your face is gonna. I mean, he's clearly fucked up on the inside. I don't think it's just a cosmetic issue. He was also issue. like trying to like psychologically heal and. Look, we're not talking second chance. We're talking judgment. All right, that's a good point. <laughs> like I said before we started, if you try to detour, I will. I will hard sideline us back to the episode. <laughs> it's the opposite of what I say. Uh, what are we doing? We were talking about uh, the uh, him uh, as if uh, Tyler Durden. Yeah, what do you think? What do what do I think? Yeah, do you think you think Judge knows or doesn't know? 
I think, I think he knows. Because, uh, I can't tell if it matters or not. Like, yeah. Like, does it change anything if he knows? Like, there's nothing there that really... I guess, yeah. Whether he knows or not, he still thinks that Two-Face needs to die. Right, he is Which we know for a fact wounded. at the end when we have the uh, the triple guilty. Oh, God. That's real creepy. Yeah, it was awful. <laughs> Just watching him in that straight jacket. Guilty. <laughs> Uh, yeah. It was very sad. Uh, poor man. Two Faces sad... That's, I mean, that's kind of what I love about this show. Is like, he's like, the most interesting villain is like, the psychologically wounded one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they do Two-Face right in this show. Who's the saddest villain? I feel like he might be... You think it's him? He might be the winner of saddest villain. Uh, maybe not this iteration. I think by this time he's kind of embraced the Two Face persona, but there's a period of time where he's like fighting it, right? Um, yeah. and, and those are like the most interesting Two Face stories. It's but very tragic. I think the Mad Hatter's pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> so a different definition of sad. Sad. I mean, I think he's also sad, but he's he's one of those guys who like, you know, he became a villain because the girl he asked out turned him down. Oh. Yeah, and then he tried to mind control her. Oh, yeah. So that's the that's the Alice. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty that's pretty pathetic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. Who do you think is the saddest villain? Uh It's a tough question. I don't know why I asked you it uh without thinking. <laughs> While you were answering who my saddest villain was. Uh, I don't know. Cool answer. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, everybody. I'm bad at this. Uh, they don't call you bad man for nothing. Uh, so we have... we have. I think that escape sequence is pretty fun. Um, I like... Any any scene where like everybody's getting sealed in with metal doors? Yeah, you you just like clangs. I guess I like clangs. I'm you a like fan sound of effects. Clangs. Yeah, it was uh, it was exciting, but it also uh, I don't want to say it felt too easy or anything, but he did throw an explosive batarang into a room that was filled with uh, presumably explosive gas. Explosive. Well, it was it was just it was gas uh, that for like asphyxiation. Or... It was it was definitely that sort of gas. Yeah, but I just assumed that all gas is flammable. <laughs> I mean, the whole building did explode. Right. Yeah, I guess that's true. How did that save them? <laughs> I don't. I mean, I guess it just blew open the building and, and released the gas. Yeah. I well no I, I I forgot I forgot that uh, Two Face was doing a duck and cover. He had uh, both hands placed over his head, so I guess that probably caught the majority of the the shrapnel. <laughs> he kicked Batman while he was down like a real asshole. Like remember, I'm a villain. <laughs> yeah, we didn't forget. Matt, just remember. Just remember. Because I might be more later. <laughs> might be a good well, guy, a villain, and a crime. Wait no, a don't minute. worry about it. I mean, I, I don't. I actually don't know how I said, <laughs> how or why I said it. Anyway, I gotta go. I'm the judge.
Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we have I there's like two versions of Lady Justice in this. I don't know if you remember there's an establishing shot. I think when we first see Corcoran or something like that of the, you know, Lady Justice statue, but it's not a lady, it's a man uh, who looks like he's just got like a short cool haircut. Uh-huh. Uh, and then Lady Justice shows up as a giant statue at the end. That's yeah, that's it's our big set piece finale. That's quite a quite a dis- discussion about gender, right? What a statement! Uh, yeah, uh, women are gigantic and men <laughs> a little bit smaller. I think yeah, that says something. How tall really. was that statue? Was that like Statue of Liberty sized? It couldn't have been. Uh, the building seemed huge. The building was gigantic. Uh, it was cavernous. I love that about this. Like later in the series, I feel like they were getting more playful. Uh-huh. This felt like the the older Batman comics, like with giant pianos and like musical instruments. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it was a it was a, a beautiful, uh, beautiful building. I would say the statue might have been like four first downs high, approximately. Like okay, at the very I, least, now you've lost me. Um, I don't know if you remember the beginning of this I episode. Don't. Okay. I don't. I don't really know what a first down is still. Huh. So Even after my adequate, <laughs> my slightly less than adequate description. So it's a football field? It, yeah, Ball? it's a little less than half. <laughs> a football field? Uh, oh, one thing we skipped over was that Two-Face does keep Corcoran, like they break into a court. And right. Yeah. Sits him down, and he—it was kind of fun to see him like district attorneying around. He forces his henchman into the jury box so that way he can just uh, very quickly just go like, "Huh? The jury has spoken." That's why I did that. That's why they're sitting there. <laughs> yep. One of them burps. Uh, he also uh, flips the coin. It lands on the non-scratched side. Uh huh. But then he very quickly just like flips it over. Oh, he does the well. You don't do that. Well, I uh, one it it has to be established beforehand if that's the the rule that you're going to do. Also, when you catch it, you generally uh, close your hand so you can't see what uh, what what it would have been because right. then it's obviously just going to be the opposite of it when you flip it over. Look, this is Two Face. He doesn't play by the rules, man. He then uh, told his henchmen, "You know what to do." When they were nowhere near seeing what the <laughs> what the coin was, <laughs> I, that's his code for kill him. Oh, okay, you know what to do. <laughs> well, maybe Wait, elaborate. What, what was it? You know what to do. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is. I, I guess you know what to do is typically ominous. If a gangster told you, you know what to do. And it was, what would you, would you assume that it was the best or the worst? Uh, what, what side of the law am I on? You're on his side. I'm on his side? Yeah. So he's telling me yeah, that yeah. I know, what, know to what, what to do? do? Put yourself in the Two-Face henchman shoes. Oh, you'd be stressed. Well, I think I would, uh, knowing what to do, I would take him to another room. I would tie him up, I would blindfold him, and then me and my friend would both shoot him. <laughs> him being tied up and blindfolded. So, the negative, yeah, yeah. In, in a large the room with a huge statue. Yes. 
Also, the judge had some pretty cool magnetic handcuffs. Right, yeah. Where did Two-Face get those? Who'd he buy them from? I don't know. They seem, uh, they were electrified. I don't know if there's a good uh, locksmith slash electrician that's around. I did like uh, that uh, towards the beginning of the fight with Batman... Uh, the judge raises his sword and you see the keys uh, dangling under it. I was like, oh, okay. All right. Well, I'm glad that eventually we can get out of these cuffs. Yeah. You would have been, you would have been crying like, it wasn't set up. (laughs) Impossible. Also, I would never bring those keys if I were the judge. (laughs) Well, in case they were used on the judge. Oh, yeah. But then hide them. That's when you like. Uh, That's when you drop them under the wig. You put them under your skin, or in your sock. <laughs> under your skin. Yeah, one of the two. <laughs> I guess I'm. Those normal places. I guess I'm thinking of uh, when people pick locks and they put like uh, they put a pin up under their like a Harry Houdini type thing, <laughs> where under they slide. skin. They slide a pin inside their hand, just under the skin, where it doesn't hurt. So then later. They can like uh, oh. extract it and then pick I the lock no with them. I had no idea that was a thing. That's uh, that's an old magician's trick. That's disgusting. Magicians it, are disgusting. I'm sure that they cauterize it <laughs> beforehand. I'm done with magicians based on that. Uh, what what is your most recent? Uh, experience with a magician. Hearing that they put pins under their But hands. I just mean you being done with magicians. I'm I feel done. like that's not going to change any aspect of your life. It's going to affect every day of my life when I see a magician at the grocery store. I'm going to say, oh, thank you, ma'am. And <laughs> they're see a stealing their produce. <laughs> oh, now you see it? Now there's a pin under my skin. <laughs> oh, hey, you're the one who brought it that's up. It's a good trick. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> one guy walking by, good trick. I, I should, uh, I, I feel like I need to reiterate, the sticking a pin in his hand is not the trick. That's not the wow. Right, It's that's how he unlocks the cups Yeah, he's like putting a tank full of water. But there's one guy who's really excited. <laughs> cool body trick. Hey, why is your hand bleeding? That's amazing. Whoa, what's that red stuff? <laughs> World's best audience for my magic show. Uh, but yeah, do you want more magic secrets? Yeah, I worked at I worked at Magic Camp for uh, for a week one summer. What'd you learn? What was your What were your top <laughs> things you learned? Uh, I learned to juggle. That's a pretty good thing. I think that uh, they just looped that in with the actual magic things. You probably like this. This is magic adjacent. It's performative. Yeah, and it was it was great. Uh, how often have you juggled? Uh, uh, five years ago, hmm. or uh, when there are three of something around, I'll I'll give it a quick toss. Three of anything. Anything that's not, I'm not gonna break. <laughs> it's not always easy, but yeah, I'll try to. If there's three like pine cones or something. <laughs> that's the first thing you went to. Yeah, why not toss it up? You know what can really spice up a hike. Pick up some pine cones and juggle them. <laughs> yeah. oh. And that's Judgment Day. That's Judgment Day, yeah. <laughs> Juggling pine cones. <laughs> uh, we do end with Alfred kind of giving that explanation of exactly what was going on. Mm-hmm. Corcoran really gets what's coming to him. We never see him again, never saw him before. Right, yeah. Uh, 
Fuck you, you wienery politician. <laughs> and yeah, we, we poor Harvey. It's unfortunate. Uh, but, you know, because the judge didn't get his way, we know he's going to be back out on the streets in no time. That, uh, that law carousel that keeps on going. The music never stops. The horses, they go up and down. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> I, I thought I was going to eventually land on a point. but Yeah, uh, you, you're like closing argument or the closing point. <laughs> and uh, furthermore, <laughs> um, carousels. Why Why do they go forwards and not backwards? Uh, perhaps the world would be a better place if... So in the, uh, in the later series, is the judge still part of... Harvey? You know, they don't... Two-Face doesn't make a an appearance later. He shows up, like... I guess he shows up once, kind of in the background of a Justice League episode. There's, like, a parallel universe uh, where I think it's, like, what if uh, Superman had basically used his heat vision to lobotomize Luthor? Uh-huh. It's, like, a parallel universe. It starts with Luthor as president... And Superman just, like, uses his heat vision to, like, immediately lobotomize him. And so, like, in that future, like, the Justice League lobotomizes all the villains. And so it's just, like, Two-Face with, like, two, like, burn marks just, like, trimming the hedges with poison ivy or something. Wow. Uh, it's real creepy. But he doesn't show up in in any major capacity. So yeah. I wonder if maybe there's a comic, like, based on the animated series that touched upon it. But I don't, I don't remember. It was a cool wrinkle. I wish I would have seen. I wanted to see more with that version of him. Yeah, it's yeah, a it's interesting. There, there are a couple. There are a couple weird, uh, like lobotomy type storylines <laughs> interspersed throughout comics. I think there was like a Fantastic Four uh, Hickman run where, uh, like, there are uh, multiple universes and uh, the. The council of Reed Richards uh, realized that they just need to lobotomize like all the arch villains because they're eventually just gonna find the other universes and take them over. So they just systematically like destroy. Yep. Yeah. It's intense. It's a go-to, I guess. Yeah. But it always hits close to home. Home run. Sports. Sports. Uh, any other thoughts on the episode? Uh, I thought it was uh, a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. I loved the twists and turns, even if I saw them coming. What a bummer. I shouldn't have told you what the episode you was. Should, you should not have. I, I really wanted to know when it clicked for you, because like, I haven't watched it since I was a kid. Yeah. and I think it would have been the TV. Right. I think because as an it adult was, you'd be like Two Face is still in this too much. Yeah, I I, I think I, I would have noticed that he was the first villain who did not get a, a personal appearance for his death. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. Thank you, Justin. Guys, that's our show. Now stick around after these short plugs for the new special segment. You can subscribe to the show in iTunes, and if you like it, please rate it and give it a good review. Write a comment. Let me know what you think. If you want to get in touch, 
further than that, you can find me on Twitter at BTAS Podcast or at Hey Justin. You can go to www.BTASPodcast.com for a bunch of stuff on the website that you can find everywhere else separately. You can email me at BTASPodcast at gmail.com. And I think that about covers it. Other than Patreon.com slash BTASPodcast. Are you sensing a theme? Where you can donate to help the show keep going. I do this independently. I'm not part of a podcast network. There aren't any advertisers. I just seek people out and interview them because I really like this show and I really want to provide a good product for you. So go there if you've got a buck or more to throw my way. I'd appreciate it. Now for the final segment, we visit an old friend in Kevin Conroy Bot Corner. Hey, KCB, my robot assistant who looks identical to Batman voice actor Kevin Conroy. How's the corner? Oh, hello, Justin. The corner is just swell, my main man. I have been dutifully sitting here since you last visited me five episodes ago. Wow, that's a long time. What have you been up to? Oh, you know, staring at one wall of the corner, then staring at another wall of the corner, then back to the first wall... Mostly that. I'm so sorry. That sounds very, very boring. Oh, trust me. It is. But I have also been working on my insult stand-up comedy routines. Anyway, what do you need, my crude, lewd dude? Well, it's time for you to thank the recent backers who have supported the show on Patreon.com slash Podcast, as if this were your very own insult comedy show inexplicably set to the Seinfeld theme song on loop. Dustin Stout, more like sauerkraut. Richard Tanner, more like get less tan dick. That's a nickname for people named Richard. Alex Rojas, more like get off the road hog. Alan Sharp, more like Alan not so sharp. Andrew Barbero, more like Sandy Barbara. Like the city, John McIntyre, more like I'm on the John with a flat dire. Keith Pepper, more like Sergeant Pepper. Like the Beatles, Joey Odorizio, more like Joey Gooey Yummy Cheesio. Jared Gavner, more like Julie Gavner, the woman who plays March Simpson. Okay, that's all. Thank you. I hope I did not insult your feelings too hard. Such is the nature of comedy, my dudes. Batman the Animated Podcast is hosted, edited, and produced by me, Justin Michael. Tom Smith created the show logo, and Casey Trela helped produce the theme song. Harry Chaskin is the voice of the podcast. Thank you to my guests, Rich Vogel and Kevin Manwaring. Special thanks to This American Life producer, Tori Malatia, who I can never take to the local library anymore after he started throwing around old encyclopedias and screaming, It's about time someone threw the book at you. See you guys in another two weeks for a new Batman the Animated Podcast. <laughs>